Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to simplecast.com, first and last word in podcasts, who have kindly come on board as our first ever sponsor. Deepa Mantler is an artist, entrepreneur, and public speaker. She's also the creator of the very cool Neon Dogs installation that has lit up the skies in London, Amsterdam, and beyond. Deepa has a reassuring message for our fireside Fox Geek listeners. Don't worry about making a fancy presentation. Just concentrate on the real story you want to tell. Captivate your audience. Before we start, we'd like to acknowledge our sponsor, Simplecast. We're very grateful for their support. It allows us to bring you interviews with the finest public speakers. Deepa, it is fantastic to have you here today on the Fireside with Box Gig podcast. You're very welcome. Great to be here, Richard, and thank you for having me. Fantastic. We're going to start with a question about neon dogs. Tell us about neon dogs. Okay, so neon dogs came into my life in 2012 through Derry, London Derry City of Culture. Artichoke, a company based in London who run massive public art festivals throughout a competition for artists to respond with public art ideas. And I submitted Neon Dogs as a pitch and it won. Fantastic. And it got accepted into the festival. And it's just been wonderful, to be honest. My value basis that throughout pretty much everything I do is how to make things more accessible for people. And I've done that through my artwork. I would have exhibited in libraries and taken artwork to where people are rather than expecting them to come to art galleries. And public art, I suppose, is the kind of crowning jewel of that. You bring art to the public space, which is accessible to everyone. And Artichoke run Lumiere, these massive festivals in London, in Durham, they did. They were in Derry in 2013, and you know they have hundreds and thousands and millions of people attending. It's phenomenal. So it's just the public reaction has just been incredible. They look really, really, uh, really fantastic. We'll put up a link in the show notes as well. Um, but they're kind of like ballooned animals, but they're neon and they light up. Absolutely, you're spot on. They're based on the balloon dogs. You know, you would see at children's birthday parties. But these are two foot high, two foot wide, and they're neon sculptural pieces almost, but there's a huge element of play and joy. They come with their own neon poos, their own neon bones. That's wonderful. It's a very, very tongue-in-cheek yeah. and colorful. You're an artist and an entrepreneur and a speaker as well. I often feel some envy, I guess, for artists who can produce a completed artwork and then stand back from it. You don't have to perform the artwork, I guess. I mean, that must be nice. You know, you've experienced speaking as well compared to having the artwork done. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nerves involved in both types of process. Yeah, okay. Obviously, when you've made the artwork, there's that sense of apprehension. You know, are people going to enjoy this, which is more important than liking? Mm. Have you connected with people in some way? And when they do connect, it's phenomenal. You know, it's really affirming because up until that point, you're the best thing since sliced bread. But (laughs) once you take it out of the studio, others may not see it that way. And I suppose with public speaking, it's the nerves are sort of different. You're articulating an idea, a story. And interestingly, it's great when it goes well, but equally important When it doesn't go well, that can be really helpful in terms of learning one format doesn't work over another. I mean, I've had exhibitions that have absolutely bombed as well. I suppose with public speaking, at least you can course correct halfway through the talk. If you know it's not going well, you can kind of change tack. But the artwork, it's done and you you just have to take it. Yeah, true. Yeah, there is that. But you get another go of it. You do get another opportunity. And I think it's kind of these are little life experiences that we do learn most from when things don't go right. And it's important to fully grasp that because there's a sense in society that that you don't have to work really hard for things, but you do. Yes. And there's a celebration of success, but what isn't talked about are the all the things that didn't go right in terms of that person reaching that success milestone, you know, all the work that they've put in. It makes things inaccessible. I mean, particularly with public speaking, as part of the reason we do this podcast, if you haven't done much public speaking, you're thinking about doing it because you want to advance your career. And you see people giving these wonderful talks with well-designed slides. It seems so far away from the possible. Absolutely. And if somebody is at the starting point in this space, I would just strip it right back to what is the key story that you want to tell. And if it's 5, 10, 15 minutes long, and it's not about fancy slides, a fancy presentation, it's about being authentic in terms of the message that you're trying to convey and telling that story in an interesting way and watching other people that you enjoy listening to and breaking that down and trying to find out what it is that attracts you or keeps you engaged in that story. And often it's the first, I mean, I would listen to TED Talks and I've been invited to do a TEDx talk in August, which I've started preparing for. Oh, wow. Okay. I've started to watch, I mean, there's hundreds and thousands of TED Talks online, but the ones that are really, really successful. And at the heart of them, it's, It's not the fancy slides. It's the fact that people are talking with authenticity about an experience or an insight that they've had or some learning that they've had. And if you stick to that, it can be really compelling. And my my learning recently, um, I was invited to actually give two presentations not so long ago. And I'm going to be really honest here. This shows that even if you've been doing something for a while, you can still not get it right. I uh, yeah. tried to deliver the best practice, cutting edge examples and scenarios in terms of virtual and augmented reality apps and the really cool things that people are doing. There was a bit about my stuff, but there was a lot of 
in terms of what other people were doing. And I lost the audience. It just got too complex for them. And I suddenly realized that I found it exciting because I'd been working in this space for three years intensively. But actually, the audience were where I was three years ago. A much simpler message would have been far more effective with them. Let's dig into that. So you had kind of assumed that the audience had background knowledge yeah. Or, or relatable experiences that they didn't have. Yeah, basically. And I mean, it's in some ways you could argue, well, you know, that's a fundamental lack of understanding in terms of what your audience needs. But these were people, I suppose I was trying to give them more than they were ready for at that stage. And maybe the talk that I tried to deliver would have been the fourth talk after a series of other talks. Yeah. And then it would have been right. Because when I looked at what other presenters pitched on their day, it was just very much sharing what they had done and the experience that they had had. And to be honest, that would have involved far less preparation for me. It would have been much easier. My intentions were completely honorable. I wasn't trying to impress for the sake of it. I just wanted to share the all the knowledge that I had, but it wasn't appropriate. Less would have been more. Yeah, yeah. And that's been really helpful learning, actually, in terms of preparing even for the TEDx talk. I'm really glad it happened earlier this year and not at TEDx. Yeah. The preparation for a TEDx talk must be something else. Does it keep you awake at night or, or do you have a plan? It did, but last week I had to submit a title and a paragraph. And that day, it's come together. I just got into the flow and I've got my first sort of five minutes nailed. And I, the rest will flow from that now. So um, whilst I know that the way I prepare can be quite a subconscious process it's i'm constantly chewing it over it even if i'm doing other work and that at some point that will be ready to just splurge through my fingers onto the keyboard and onto the page and when that happens just go with it it just almost writes itself but you've been thinking about it the whole time you have to put in the hard yards of doing the thinking. Yes. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. And I think what I've settled on is the fourth version. And the previous ones have been completely deleted now because they just don't feel right. I work on an instinctive level as well. That's interesting because writers, they have this expression called kill your darlings. I don't know if you've ever heard that. No. It's a common thing about fiction writers where you're writing a story or a novel, you have some chapter or some character interaction that you've fallen in love with, okay. but it doesn't work in the context of the whole book. Yes, right. And you have to delete yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, and that's tough. I mean, I, I think you just have to be really, really honest. I think you have to be able to stand over, don't you, whatever it is that you're writing, whether it's a novel, a short piece, and if you're speaking the truth if you're trying to do that in a genuine way then and i keep coming back to this word authentic it has to you have to feel comfortable with it and the fact that it will live on long after you do yeah and that doesn't come out of thin air i'm fascinated with this creative process you described because I, I kind of recognize it a little bit in my own talks where you know you have to give a talk on something you might even come up with a title which you think is brilliant and in a, in a sort of flurry of madness suggested to somebody yeah. And then they accept your proposal and you have nothing to back it up. <laughs> and then you spend weeks fretting. But of course, that fretting is the work. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's this 
equivalent of the physical toil, isn't it? And, and getting sweaty, <laughs> working hard. And- I think it's important to recognize then that the creative process necessary to produce the concept of a talk that's going to work, the narrative arc. It's not like diligent work where you can do a little bit each day and then at the end of the week you've done something and you can move forward. You might spend four weeks with nothing <laughs> and yet it's happening in your subconscious. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that can be a really uncertain, unfamiliar and insecure way of working. What I do do though is I know if I'm riding my bike or if I am completely engrossed in another activity that ideas will permeate uh, is just to drop them down. So to whatever's at hand and, you know, maybe 90% of it gets struck off, but at least you've captured that somewhere. And there is, there is also nothing like a deadline, you know, for, it focuses every (laughs) single creative person that I know. Otherwise, yeah, you would spend years if you were given years refining and refining. You would indeed. So a deadline, if you've not been given one, then absolutely set yourself one. Yeah, that's a key creative tool, isn't it? Yeah. Do you find yourself as somebody who is creative and works through the medium of creativity, do you find yourself dissatisfied with your work? Are you ever satisfied with your work? I think you have to have a sense of, not that it's enough, that it's good for that particular time. Yeah. I mean, the minute you've presented it, you will have 10, 20, 30 more ideas, but it's a phased approach. It's a journey, isn't it? It's, but the very act of completing that part of it will lead to other expressions of creativity, but you absolutely have to let go. I think if you hold on, and I, and again, this comes from learning in the past. If you hold on, you block the flow of other creative ideas that are waiting to come. Ah, you have to have faith that they are there. Yeah, well, I do because, and if they don't, then maybe it's just not the right time. Yeah. But they do always eventually come. And I think that's important, letting go as well, that you've you've done the work and this reflects and is what you're trying to communicate. Let's turn to your personal journey as a public speaker. Now you're accomplished and now you can do it. Now you're, you're going to be giving a TEDx talk, which is such an aspiration for many people. But take us back to when you first started. Were you any good at public speaking? Did you have to go through a phase of making a mess of things? Some people are naturals and they just love being on stage. You know, it's a really interesting question and it's funny, I've been reflecting on this over the last couple of weeks, I would have been the person that would have sat in a meeting and not said a word, never, ever, Mm. ever spoke. So the idea of that person, when I think to that person and this person now standing in front of thousands of people and not only being comfortable delivering a story and a message, but actually enjoying it is just crazy to me because it's almost two different people. I always had a sense that I wanted to communicate, but something was always just missing. And I'm trying to think, I think slowly through work, I was put in positions where I had to train people. And then that led to speaking on specific issues around equality and diversity at conferences. And it's just continued to build from there but more recently i suppose what's different is 
since entering and working in immersive technologies, the parameters around personal and professional have become more intertwined. So my own personal journey is no longer separate from that professional element and discourse. And that's made the storytelling even more compelling and interesting. And it seems to be a story that strikes a chord with other people. I think there's an interesting aspect to this, which is we often talk about how public speaking is important for career progression, and it's a great way to to move yourself forward. But of course, if you're an entrepreneur, it's even more essential. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're on show pretty much, aren't you, in every single interaction that you have. And those events you get invited to are so important in terms of communicating the vision and the values around your company, why you're doing it, who you are, and people invest in people at the end of the day. You know, they get inspired by people, not always what they're making. We look to be moved by what others are doing, whether there's an affinity there. And that's kind of where the magic really, really happens. So if you can connect with people in terms of, and it's not about what you've made. There's There's a story to everything. The best speakers are those that draw you in to their story. And we are brought up to love, love stories from the minute that we're born. You know, it's what yeah. defined us as human beings sitting around the fire. And it's the way we made sense of the world. You're right. Isn't that the thesis of that Israeli author? He wrote that book, Sapiens. It's our ability to create shared fictions, shared stories. Absolutely. I've read a really interesting piece on Friday um, from Australia, and the Aborigines have a term, it's called yarning, which I think, Mm. you know, you can understand easily. And it's that sense of sitting down and talking and and it can sometimes take weeks and months. And they were assessing this as a tool for uh, mental health, wellness, Um, And as a psychological aid, comparing it with the Western psychology interaction where it's artificial, you're put into this room with a complete stranger, you have an hour to unpack issues and how (laughs) false and imposed that is when you compare it to being part of a community or a group where you, you, you share these stories, you share these experiences and somehow... In the sharing of that, there's, um, I don't know, there's an unburdening. So there are therapies that are beginning to develop around this, which I think are really interesting. And I think that's something you're exploring with your most recent business, which I also found really interesting because you make use of uh, virtual reality and alternate experiences. And one aspect of that that often comes up now in terms of public speaking is where do we go with virtual public speaking? Uh, you know, VR advocates will say, okay, all conferences in the future are going to be done on your VR headset and it's all going to be virtual. And then others would say, no, you need that experience of the audience around you. I don't know if you've explored it or if you have, have you given talks in VR? No. It's not something I've experienced. I haven't experienced that. I think when you get new technologies coming along, like virtual, augmented, mixed reality, holograms, all of that technology. There's a moment when you're a bunny in the headlights and then there's a rush to apply it 
to everything. Yes. But then I think the next phase that follows is, okay, where is where does this technology provide the best utility? So, for example, virtual meetings, we have a climate change epidemic and crisis. Could we use virtual meetings to reduce air miles? Because that leisure and meetings are probably the primary drivers in terms of people's carbon footprint. Um, but having said that, there is something about human interaction, you know, that there is some business that you could perhaps do virtually online, but there will be those instances as well when you need to look into the other person's eyes in terms of that you're sort of making that deal with or discussing really something really sensitive with or, you know, whatever it is. But there are situations like, I don't know, concerts, politicians in terms of their campaigning that they can have these virtual holographic avatars appearing simultaneously in stadiums. And what's holding it back? Is it the fact that technology is not quite there yet? Or is there something else more fundamental? I think partly that. And, you know, I mean, it's interesting in China, they have a virtual superstar, an avatar. No, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember her name now. I posted something about this a few months ago on, on LinkedIn. Oh, wow. But she has... That's dystopian sci-fi future, mostly, my goodness. But then you look at Instagram. Some of the key influencers are virtual avatars. They have millions of no followers. Way. So it's, it's happening. We will wow. have models that are virtual, but indistinguishable from, from a human. So it's beginning to happen, perhaps, and... Lay people are not aware of the pace of change. But for me, in terms of the space that I work in, I very much view these new technologies as being tools that enable us to be more human and that they're there to teach us skills that we can use in real life. So, for example, I've developed a virtual reality app called Breathe VR, which was yeah. developed directly in response to people suffering from chronic pain. My mother has been a chronic pain sufferer for over 23 years. Yeah. And we did a lot of user research initially to see if this, if there was a need and what is that need and is this tool the best technology to meet that need? And what virtual reality was doing was it was helping people escape from the presence of that physical discomfort and they found themselves in a meadow and then they had to use their breath to make the leaves rise and fall in the meadows. Oh, so, wow. Okay. So they're using our breath is our medicine. Uh, we breathe 23,000 times a day and we're never taught how to breathe properly. And it's, you know, in times of stress, our breathing becomes very shallow which exacerbates the stress. So this is just about encouraging people to breathe deeply and mindfully and hopefully do it enough times that they can then not need the VR, that it's something that they can use in their own lives as and when they need. It's like a biofeedback. Yeah. I remember reading about these systems, but they were all complicated. You had to go to a lab to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is very, very simple. We've tried to take out the barriers by reducing the friction. So the app's really simple. It, it goes onto a headset. You can download it. So you then you're not constantly having to rely on Wi-Fi. 
all the things that can make it difficult for people to use. Well, can I suggest a feature (laughs) or or an application? I mean, it strikes me that the stress and the nerves of public speaking is something that system could potentially address because... I don't know. Could you give people the experience of standing in front of a crowd? It's happening. I think there are apps out there for this because with virtual reality, you connect emotionally to a given situation and scenario. So it's actually been incredibly helpful for putting on this headset. You're then in a room speaking to hundreds of people. And it's just about getting into that scenario. I mean, one of the things that I do before any big event, I try and get to see the venue and then visualize it as clearly as possible as it's going to be from the time that you walk out onto the stage. Yes. And to fully live that first few seconds, because once you've gone through that and you're into your you know, first, second, third line, you get into the flow, you've practiced so many times to different people. And this TEDx talk that you're doing, do you you know where the venue will be? Yes, I know the the room. And for me, I know the crunch point with this will be one, knowing that I've absolutely memorized it. And two, that I'm I'm really happy with the story that I'm sharing and telling. And third, (laughs) it is not going to feature in the top 20 TED Talks of all time. I know that. And that's fine. I can live oh, with that. I can live with that. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. Best of luck. It's a fantastic thing to have the opportunity to do. Absolutely. We'll certainly put a link up to it once it's up in our show notes as well. So people can see down the line how it all worked out. And I'm sure it will be fabulous. Thank you. I think if there's one takeaway I have from this, which I might experiment with myself is this idea of, of practicing your talk in VR. And I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking through there's great applications here where if the interior of buildings have been scanned yeah. then you can practice the very room you're going to give a talk in which is fantastic yeah there's lots to think about there thank you so much this has been really fascinating thank you it's been amazing chatting with you really enjoyed it and best of luck with the TEDx thank talk thank you thank you so much for listening just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, simplecast.com, who helped make this podcast possible. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, pause, and step forward.